Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, where we have a very special guest on the show today, Braden Dennis. Braden is the founder of investment research platform Stratosphere.io. He is the host of the Canadian Investor Podcast, and he has just launched FinChat.io, a chat GPT for the stock market. Braden, welcome to Stock Club. Founder of one business wasn't enough. You had to go and set up another one in the past few weeks, all while hosting your own podcast. I just have one question. Are you on a quest to become the busiest man in Canada this year? <laughs> um, maybe accidentally. I sure do not mean to um, because busy doesn't always mean productive. And, you know, what most very successful entrepreneurs say focus is the most important quality. <laughs> and, just focusing uh, on many different things at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how well I'm doing in that category. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're all tangentially in the same ecosystem of of serving investors with with different tools, whether it's it's media like like the way that you do and, and you guys do here, or it's uh, you know analytics tools. At the end of the yeah. day, it's really it's really feeding the same kind of ecosystem, and that makes it a lot easier. If I was doing auto lending and then <laughs> uh, you know fintech and maybe some sports tech at yeah, the, on the side, I don't know how I don't know how well that would all work together. Selling shoes out the boot of your car, maybe as well, you know, <laughs> like a real entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> That's before, right. Before we get into it, we're going to go talk through your background and your many many companies. I just have one question, and that is. What was the Berkshire's annual meeting like and did it live up to the hype? Yes, I'll answer that in a couple ways. First of all, it certainly did live up to the hype in terms of the actual meeting. Um, it's it's a grind of a day. Like people get up real early and line up. I was there pretty early, but not like egregiously early. And it is a grind of a day. And the fact that those two lads go up there for at that age and, yeah, and answer breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Um, and answer questions for hours on hours on hours with basically just one hour lunch break. Charlie and Warren were remarkably sharp this year. I think a lot sharper than last year uh, as well, which is, uh, kind of a consensus opinion from everyone who I talked to who was either there in person last year or just like me watched it on the the live stream there. Um, it was great to see them almost rewind the clock a little bit in terms of uh, freshness compared to last year. And of course, I mean, <laughs> they're 90, 92 and, ni- and, and 99. Um, I don't think Charlie Munger has been labeled fresh now for 70 years. <laughs> 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 relatively you know at that age the fact that they're able to do that uh it's it's incredible their wisdom the the tips they have on how to yeah. live a good life how to be how to be good at business how to you know invest capital correctly they're quick on their feet and uh i 
to answer your question, I had a great time and uh, I, I definitely would like to go back if it's next year or the year after. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. If, if for a networking opportunity alone. But um, no, let's get into you now because I think we're in the intro, we've kind of given all the finance details and all your businesses, but you didn't come up in a finance background. It was environmental engineering. Is that correct? Yes. Fantastic yeah. research there, uh, Michael. <laughs> the one, bit of, one visit to LinkedIn and I'm getting pats on the back. But, yeah. but tell, me, tell me the story from going to something like that, which is quite, suspe- quite specific to flipping that into setting up your own investment research platform. I, sw- I assume investing was always part of your life, maybe not part of your studies. Is that correct? I think that that's correct uh, once I got to school. So as a kid, I was fascinated by numbers. I was frankly good at math and science. That's kind of the, the way my my brain worked. I, I sure found a way to constantly get in trouble, but my teachers didn't quite understand me because, you know, when I wasn't getting in trouble, I was acing every single class when it came to uh, math and sciences. And so naturally my career path went towards that, which is engineering. Um, if you're good at numbers, it's a phenomenal kind of undergrad education to, to go get. It's extremely challenging. It teaches you how to think, teaches you how to problem solve, teaches you how to get things done with the help of your, your peers, because it's literally impossible to do on your own. Like you have to work, like you have to, I'll handle this part. You handle that part, even if it's not a group project. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> it's, I did, it's basically like forced cheating. <laughs> I did computer science for a year, and there's a poor fellow called Jack. I think he still remembers me because was, he was my crutch for two semesters. <laughs> oh man, it's it's tough. It's like you know, cheat or fail. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that could be a metaphor for life. Don't mind just yeah. engineering. <laughs> And and during that process, I stumbled across a few investment books, a few classics, and that just like just kind of sparked my interest in terms of like, okay, I you know I'm going down this great career path, but I I know the people in my life who have more money than than others have all treated their capital well and let it grow over a long period of time. Like if I just looked up and, and, and studied the people who did exceptionally well and even on a modest income, mm. there was a gigantic disparity between how people actually used the money they earned. And so that, that really got me down the path originally and answered the kind of why question. And then you know, I, I don't do kind of anything normally. And of course I go fully obsessed in it and, and try to try to build product and try to, you know, interview cool people. And that's how that all started. But it seems like some sort of grand plan between all the companies I've started and uh, the podcast and everything. But it literally was just, let me see if an author will speak to me that of, of this book I just read. Yeah. If I, if I tell them, hey, Mike, uh, I loved your book. Do you, you know, do you want to sit down for coffee? It's like, no. Hey, Mike, do you want to sit for coffee on a podcast? Yeah, sure. Where do I yeah. sign up? <laughs> What's in it for me? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that was a really effective strategy. Little did they know, like, you know, it, it was not a big podcast. It was not really successful at the time. 
but I kept going. And that's the important part. I, I kept going. Uh, there was times I didn't want to do it. There was times I definitely wanted to just chill and I haven't missed an episode in over three and a half years. And now it's Canada's largest business podcast. And it's been just an absolute grind, but one that I've enjoyed. And I think that that's super important too, right? Like if you don't love your customer or your audience, like if you don't like hanging out with those kinds of people, whether it's your customers or your audience that you're building as a creator, you're just not going to want to get up and do it. So I think yeah. that's super important. And I imagine for someone with as many businesses as you, motivation would be fairly the top of the list. Um, but let's talk about Stratosphere. So that's kind of the first. So the podcast came first, but then Stratosphere is the first business, we'll say. And I saw actually you got a seal of approval from Chris Mayer as well, uh, author of 100 Beggars. He's a friend of the pod. And I think a lot of listeners will know a lot about him from this podcast and that book too. Um, I think what I like about Stratosphere, because I compare it to a site I used to use, uh, is uh, Macro Trends. Apart from like kind of say the obvious usability and the aesthetics around it, is that it guides the user a bit more. Does that does that make sense? It might be delivers them the most important information in front rather than they having to go find it. Is that correct? The engineer in me, non-computer, loves building things that look really, really nice and are just like really fast time to value. Where if I'm coming straight off the streets and I'm just looking at this, every single player in the financial data and analytics terminals these days is like, you basically have to be a power user to, to understand yeah. it. And that's great uh, for like some of these large entrenched, you know, incumbents of people who just like, you know, they love, they love the chaos of it, um, which is totally fine. But if you can get someone to have quick time to value of like, hey, this is a cool idea too hey, this is really, really valuable. If you can shorten that time frame, it's, it's night and day in terms of like people coming to check it out versus people coming, becoming fans of the product. So that's the, that's kind of the onboarding flow that we've thought about how it all comes together, how it looks, how it feels. It's robust, but not intimidating is the way to think about it. And just, just for our listeners, Stratosphere is this investment platform. It's got kind of all the stats you need essentially. So if you're going to do go research a stock, it's got, it's got basically all you're looking for. Would that be fair enough? Yeah, it has all of the fundamentals you'd be looking for. Yeah. If you're looking for, you know, drawing technical analysis patterns on the chart, we don't have anything for, for let's say, the, the day trader. We have no, absolutely nothing available that will help them. But for fundamentals investors who are you know, gathering and collecting data on a company, understanding how things have changed over time, trying to understand the fundamentals of the business for a long-term investment, then that's exactly who it's for. And what we've done uh, particularly is go deep into each company. So if I'm looking at Airbnb, for instance. If I, if I look at Airbnb, I'm not just going to get their revenue and their EBITDA, which is, of course, helpful financial metrics. I'm going to get their, you know, the ratios and the three financial statements. I think that that's table stakes today. But what you're also going to get is how many nights were booked on Airbnb mm -hmm. during the quarter and the year. Yeah. 
What's the take rate that they take on, you know, the gross booking value? That's another metric. So it goes, it goes a little deeper. And, and what so that almost, does- almost individualizing it. Would that be fair? Yes. You're going into the granular KPIs of each business. It will break out their, their revenue segments by geography and business segment, but also the KPIs that move the business. I'll give you two examples. First on the Airbnb one, now that does something interesting where I can compare Expedia, booking holdings, and Airbnb on gross booking value, night stayed, and take rate. Now I can do actual comps, mm. not you know some arbitrary margin or comparing it on revenues. Like, Sure, I can do that. The method that I'm describing in the first part takes historically a lot longer because you have to go through the filings, you know, write that number down for each company over time, each quarter, each year. We want to remove that manual process. I'll give you an example. Okay. So the Q222 for Netflix. Remember when the stock? Yeah. Yes, yes. Stock lost 37% that day, which was- Billion in market cap. 100 billion in market cap, um, which is, you know, remarkable for a name like that. And what was it, Michael? Revenue is up 7% quarter, mm, year it, over year? It was just the first, uh, was it the first quarter of churn ever? On that's right. Or something? Yeah. So what you're saying with, that's not going to show up on Yahoo Finance, but on Stratosphere, that's top of the list. Is that what the- That's right. Is? You go to the segments and the KPIs for, for Netflix, and we're going to track number of subscribers, net ads during the quarter, net churn, average revenue per paying member, you know, the, how much people are paying in each of the geographies, how that's changed. Uh, you know, you, you see the drop off of all the Russian subscribers and that, that net churn of like what, 200 million or, or sorry, 2 million subscribers, not 200 million. That'd be, that'd be a lot. 200 million, uh, the drop yeah. one, 37 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah two, 2 million uh, net subscriber loss. And that's why the business got absolutely smoked. It was like, yeah, yeah some weak guidance on subscriber growth and the fact that they had net churn for the first time as a public company or probably ever as a company um, on the the streaming segment. And so that's where, that's where smart investors and, you know, I hate this cringy term, smart money, but that's where professional analysts live is in that data sets and they're doing it manually today. And we want to help solve that. Mm, I love that. So, while you are showing the numbers, you are also telling the story, shall we say? Um, yeah, both visually too, right? Like you can see it graphically by clicking on the metric, and it's just like, huh, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that number doesn't go up as fast as it used to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the same. I use a lot of these tools, it's just easier to look at, which makes a big difference too. But um, so that's Stratosphere, that's one ticked off the list. But let's get into uh, finchat.io now, which is very exciting, and obviously. All the hype, we just had an hour-long episode two weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago on AI and all the rest. Um, but let's, I'll, I'll let you pitch it now. What problem is FinChat.io trying to solve in the investing world? Yeah, great question. So it's basically surfacing a lot of the same data that we just talked about over the last couple of minutes, except it's doing something different now, which is turning unrefined thoughts, 
via natural language into beautiful summarized outputs, both graphically and in tables, um, with a, with a nice summary, pull the source data. Let's go through an example. If I want to know what are the total subscriber counts for Disney Plus, let's go back to the Netflix example versus Netflix, okay? I want to see subscriber counts side by side. That might take quite a long time to go through the filings and, and aggregate. I can just say, hey, you know, hey FinChat, via natural language, give me the subscriber accounts for these two companies. And it is now going to go and surface that in a generated way with data linking back to Stratosphere. It'll give you that in a table. It'll give you it in a graph. It'll give you it in text. And then it'll also source where it came, where that data comes from in the filings in their 8Ks, 10Ks, and 10Qs. Wonderful, because people need to see that kind of auditability and verifiability that the AI isn't just making this up. Yeah, it's like having, we your, tell, own, having your own team of interns. Exactly. It's your intern. It's your free intern. And the way people like this method of surfacing information so much, and I think... What did Satya Nadella say in a sit down the other day, uh, the CEO of Microsoft? He said, when talking about Bing, he said, Google is the, you know, the the hundred pound gorilla here in this space, but we want to make them dance and we want them to know it was us that made them dance. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of profound, right? Because you have a new way to surface information via natural language and large language models same way that ChatGPT had this historic rise to 100 million users, there's a beautiful product market fit between I have this super sloppy, unrefined thought to, you know, an intern crushed it. They spent, a, <laughs> they spent two weeks on this amazing report. It has all the data. And so we had that moment and we're like, hey, we already have all this data. Yeah, we should do this with an output that's specific for investment research, and that was the the genesis of FinChat.io. That's great, and I have maybe a. I suppose when we're looking at AI in general, and that this is probably more philosophical than we need to get on this business podcast, <laughs> but there's a proclivity to skew to the negative when we mention it, and and that's fair enough. There is genuine fears there but i kind of want to see the positive view of it as well so like what positives for investors say can finchat bring because i kind of see this as almost a democratization does that make sense we talked about the interns you know you're giving retail investors this ability to compete with much more resource resource like fund managers or whatever else is that is that kind of the bridge say we're trying to gap there exactly that's the way to think about this right is like you know, AI sure has some some negative connotation to it today, both in the fact that it's going to disrupt knowledge workers in, in a major way over the next few years. Where does it go? Several smart people, including Elon Musk and you know, the creators of OpenAI have said, this can go down a really dangerous place, a really spooky path, especially when you have agents, which is basically AI conversing with AI to complete new tasks. 
all, I, I don't know where all of this goes and no one really does. I think it, it would just be speculation at this point. But what I do know is that there's lots of positives in the way that you just mentioned. It gives you know everyone kind of this assistant, which is amazing. Hmm. And it also removes a lot of the the parts of your job that no one wants to do and no one likes doing. You know, the Excel jockey work of a professional knowledge worker's day is not the most thrilling part, the most exciting part, the most enlightening part of their day. Yeah. Nor, it's nor, just nor is it the part that they get paid for. You know, that's they get paid for the analysis of that work. You got it. Exactly. And so if we can shift more time to generating alpha and creating insights, uh, growing your business, talking to more clients, that's a huge win for everyone. I mean, it, sure, it it has and it will displace that kind of intern role, that really entry-level role, I think is going to change. I, I, the cats, it's, it's already out of the box in, yeah. terms of, in terms of that happening, um, which is unfortunate, but every technological change has a has an impact on on uh, the labor market. We just didn't realize if you asked people ten years ago that it would actually disrupt knowledge workers, not not, mm, not yeah. the, the 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 blue collar factory workers. Super still needed interactions with computers in the physical world are going to take a lot longer than um, in the digital world. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, big time. And I didn't realize Toronto was such a uh, AI hub. And what is it? Uh, your man, Jeffrey Hinton, who came out, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago with the big kind of fear mongering? Oh, sorry, fear mongering is, is maybe accusatory, but he came out with his own fears around AI and stuff. But he was based in the University of Toronto for years and years, wasn't he? I assume that has led to a lot of development in the city. Yeah. I'm going to embarrass myself. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, like, there is lots of reasons to think that Toronto is a good place to build startups. There's a lot of reasons to think that it's, it's, it's also not because it has its pros and cons. And I think that Toronto's gotten this, like, AI uh, view from the stock market, maybe because there's so many of them listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange and maybe on the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. But I don't know how much in like the actual build, 
like the builders, the la- uh, landscape is here, but I also don't know, like we're pretty heads down, just, just working away. So I'm sure there's lots of great innovation happening in a, in a city as large as this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to cut in here to remind our listeners that we are delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market, and it is completely free. No one else is covering the markets we've covered with Charging and Fearless, where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris. And of course, in celebration of this week's guest, we have sent out a pitch from an exciting Canadian business listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So that is a completely free stock pitch. You'll have it read in 30 seconds flat, and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you in markets you don't invest in already. This is where you get an edge. So sign up now in the show notes for this episode. Um, Okay, Braden, I'm setting you up there uh, to talk a bit about the Canadian investing landscape and what you do over at the Canadian Investor Podcast. You mentioned it was the number one podcast, number one business podcast in Canada. So what are the kind of differences, we'll say, between the Canadian and the U.S. exchanges? Obviously, Canada is a lot smaller. But at a quick glance, there's some heavy hitters there, too. And there's crowd favorites at Stock Club as well. So are Canadians companies kind of facing the same challenges as their U.S. counterparts now? Or is there some hidden gems there to be found? How about this? Which, which names would, do you guys talk about frequently? Like, what are, what are some of the, some of well, the TSX listings? So our listeners would be very familiar with Shopify, Lululemon, Constellation Software would be one up there as well. Um, nice. Yeah. And it was, oh, there was a third one. I can't remember now. I had the yeah, list no up worries. in front of me about <laughs> Maybe Brookfield or something. Maybe Brookfield, Brookfield or something. Asset Management. Um, yeah. They wouldn't be, at, we wouldn't be as concentrated now in the financials as much, but yeah. Right, right. Um, okay, good. No, that's a good, good context to get. So the... TSX Composite Index uh, is around 250 names. There's, of course, more listings than that. If you look at uh, small cap, micro cap, that universe, and if you look at the venture as well. But let's let's call it 250 names on the, the Composite. You have a large, large concentration in banking, energy, and materials. So yeah. natural yeah. resources and banking. Natural resources, of course. And then RBC, of course, is a monster as well, isn't it? In banking, yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So banking, energy, materials. Those make up the majority of the index. And then there's a few outliers in tech. You know, when it comes to large cap, of course, you mentioned Shopify and Constellation Software being about close to 50 billion if you include the the spinoffs. Mm, so that that was, sorry, I teed it up. That was the spinoff we just mentioned in Charging and Fearless was Topicus. Uh, nice. It was only recently spun off, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That would have been at the beginning of last year. Was it? So, yeah. yeah. And then the beginning of this year was the Lumine Group, which is in their second spinoff of a public mm. listing on the Toronto Venture. And spinoffs are always interesting to watch as well, isn't it? Like a proven fact they perform, outperform. In the year, is it the two years after they get spun off or something? There has been awesome data on spinoffs. Uh, there's actually there's a Substack that that focuses on it's like spinoff investing or something. Yeah. I was looking at it the other day, and they, they, you know the, the case for them is certainly there. You just, of course, with any investment, don't blindly say, "Oh, that's the no, investment yeah, exactly. thesis." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but you have these spinoffs with Constellation, Topicus and Lumine Group that are basically run by the same people. They're operating groups underneath the Constellation umbrella. Constellation owns large, large chunks of it. Like, for instance, 30% of the shares of Topicus are owned by Constellation Software, the holding company. And that's basically how they're structuring them. The CEO of the operating group becomes the CEO of the spinoff. Nothing really changes. They don't change the management team. Uh, Everything kind of stays how it is. But that business thrives off of autonomy of small teams because there are very, very small units underneath the operating groups that are have full autonomy and discretion to do their own acquisitions. This is a grow-by-acquisition company. You do not need to call up Mark Leonard, the CEO, and say, hey, we're thinking about buying this like $5 million ARR payroll company out of Australia. They have full autonomy to do that, and yeah. they have their own M&A teams at the very lowest level that they're able to do that. And that's the that's how this thing works. That's how you have over 850 small niche vertical market software companies. You know, somewhere in the next year-ish, we're gonna have a thousand companies underneath Constellation Software. So it's it's an acquisition machine. It's a model that is very very unique. They have no stock-based compensation. Mark Leonard doesn't pay himself a salary. Like it's it's just cut from a different cloth in terms of software and and the results kind of speak for themselves and are very, very shareholder friendly. Yeah. He also benefits probably from looking a bit like a wizard. (laughs) Yeah. Gandalf the Grey. Gandalf the Grey doesn't do any public appearances or anything either, but it, it is interesting how that's such a blueprint well a blueprint for a lot of businesses in terms of the acquisition growth by acquisition model but in software they're the ones who really nailed it down and you can see from their stock chart is just one direction up and to the right you know for 20 30 years or whatever it was so yeah no it's a brilliant business do you have any other uh any other hidden gems our listeners might know about from the canadian stock market yeah i'll give you two names on the canadian stock market um, I'll, I'll start with a engineering firm called WSP. WSP is a, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 billion Canadian dollars. So call it nine, 10, uh, billion us in, in market cap today. I'm going to have to verify that that number's right. WSP is a grow by acquisition as well. Engineering firm roll up. Now they do grow quite nicely organically as well. Um, more than a constellation, for for example, mm. but they uh, they are one of the global leaders in terms of engineering firms in the built environment, environmental services, construction, civil works uh, is is their bread and butter, both on the services side and. They're they're essentially consultants, right? It's a it's very similar to Accenture as a, being the roll up and you know huge gorilla in the consulting space for digital transformation. This is for civil engineering, and the stock has done phenomenally. Uh, it's been a huge huge winner for me. I've owned it for 
oh God, years and years now. And um, really, really impressive what they've done. It's probably under the radar for most people. Uh, it's it's uh, n- nothing but good things to say about the business. Um, I'll move now to BRP. All right, let's go with BRP. Uh, so yeah, you know CD. Everything an acronym up there. <laughs> Yeah, Once you yeah, go C- north of the border. You're just- <laughs> Do you know Sea-Doo? The f- Sea-Doo, no. You know, you they're like the jet skis. Oh, no, I don't know jet skis. You, you don't know what a jet, you know, and you, I know, you know what, what a jet, jet ski, ski is, sorry, but I don't know jet skis. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so jet skis are the two main players are Yamaha and Sea-Doo. And okay. CDU is owned by BRP, which is a spinoff of a Canadian company called Bombardier. Bombardier Rec Products, aka BRP. I know we're getting there into we the, the 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 acronyms here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is ticker D O O, but it is also dual listed on the Nasdaq under ticker D O O O. It is a manufacturer of recreational vehicles. So the CDU. The Skidoo for for snowmobiling, uh, multiple boats. They own a couple other brands in in that space. Um, they own uh, all terrain vehicles like four wheelers as mm. well. So they're really a leader in market share of those three categories. Uh, if we'll include boating, maybe the four categories. And they've done exceptionally well in terms of growing their piece of the pie in that. In the in that space, now the stock trades perennially cheap because it's a consumer discretionary business. Of yeah. course, you know when the when the economy tightens, who's buying skidoo's and cdoo's? Let me tell you, everyone still. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer. Yeah, uh, you can't get you, they can't make them fast enough. And uh, so for that reason, I think for a value investor, it's a stock I, I definitely like. It's growing exceptionally well. They buy back a ton of stock. They've absolutely deleted the share count. Um, they pay a nice little growing dividend, and it trades at a very, very reasonable uh, price-to-earnings multiple or price-to-EBITDA multiple. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're if you're looking for some value plays with a high quality business behind it and actually growing, <laughs> you know, those, those two things don't really happen very often for value yeah. stocks. Um, BRP is an interesting name to maybe throw on your watch list. That's it's a stock. Great. I, I, full disclosure, I own constellation software. I own BRP and I own WSP. Yeah. Well, that's great. There's three great businesses there and two anyways, I imagine our listeners haven't heard of. I'm just going to ask you one question there and we'll finish up. And that would be kind of around, Say investing in Canada, but being exposed to a lot of U.S. stocks, which I think would be kind of unavoidable, we'll say. But what are the advantages for a Canadian stock or maybe for an investor to invest in a Canadian stock that's only listed on the Canadian exchange instead of dual listing? Because I know Constellation Software chooses to not list on the NASDAQ, we'll say, but Shopify would list on both. Yeah, so I... Let's use Constellation as a perfect example. The The reason they don't list elsewhere is because they don't want more investors to be piling into the name. They want yeah. to keep the stock price cheap because, because the management team 
has to take a part of their bonus and buy shares on the open market. They don't do stock-based compensation. This is how they incentivize the management team. So that answers it right there in itself. If it's if it's just on Canadian listings, it's just in Canadian dollars, you basically have a ton of large investment firms that are not looking at the name mm. immediately by default uh, because of those things. So as soon as you go outside of US markets, less liquidity. More um, bargains, we'll have to say. More bargains, that's basically the the value proposition. Yeah, I suppose you put a few more hoops to jump through and that's going to put off a lot of investors. And then there's, I know, legal implications on all the rest. But if you are an international investor and you are looking for those opportunities, there's absolutely them in Canada. And we had BRP and WSP, two companies I had never heard of. So uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. And uh, that's kind of it for the show, Braden. If you want to sign off, tell set up a third company in between now and dinner or something. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just uh, flog whatever you're flogging. Now I know we got FinChat, we got Stratosphere, we got the Canadian Investor Podcast. Yeah, that's right. So Stratosphere.io, FinChat.io, the Canadian Investor Podcast. That's that's the three. Maybe I'll I'll send you a little DM for the fourth one uh, by dinner tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let me know if I can invest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's good, man. I, it. Uh, People can find me there on on Twitter as well at Bredo Capital. If you're uh, if you're on the Twitter machine, the place that everyone goes who is so happy to be there. Everyone just <laughs> everyone just comes there and is so nice to each other. Right? You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that lovely, lovely cesspit we all call home. Um, <laughs> okay, that's it for today's show, folks. Thanks very much for joining me, Braden, and thanks very much for listening. If you want to contact us, find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. Make sure to give us a like, a share, a follow, whatever else you do on the podcast platform that you are on. We will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.